Hi, friends. Welcome to God Stories. I am your host, Cassie, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. This is where I have on my friends, both new and old, to share their God stories. From the big, aha, miraculous, life-changing moments to the ordinary, everyday moments that are oftentimes the very extraordinary, life-changing ones. My hope is that you're encouraged. My hope is that you're sometimes challenged. My hope is that you feel welcome and enjoy today's episode. Hey friend, welcome to God Stories. Thank you. I am sitting here with my best friend, Allie Meacham, and we were just cracking up laughing, could not (laughs) stop before we actually started this because she truly is a best friend. And I was telling her, I feel like we are at home when, or I'm at home when I come to her house. So we're here recording here. Um, But I met you, Allie. I think we met, it was 2013. We were planning for the Vine Uganda, our first trip to Uganda. And we became fast friends, um, really best friends over the years. And I truly consider you like a sister. I really do. Um, But go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes, I'm so excited to do this, honestly, because... Of course, you're my bestie. I just love... We could chat about this stuff for days. We really but, could. Um, but I think it's so important to share these God stories, you know? Um, and not everybody has the platform or, or you know, cares to share them. So I think it's so great. And I admire that you're doing this podcast. So I'm really happy to be a part of it. Um, Thank you, friend. Yes. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Allie. I... Live in Texas now, um, in Houston, but I grew up in Colorado. So I'm a Colorado girl, um, even though I hated the snow. So <laughs> I actually like Texas better. Um, but grew up in Colorado. Um, we grew up in church, you know, uh, kind of a middle class family, you know. Uh, my mom was a school teacher, my dad actually was a baseball coach. Um, when I was really little, he was playing still. So he was playing for the Yankees. Actually, we grew up in New Jersey for a couple of years of my life and then moved to Colorado. And I grew up all the way from age six to high school there. But, um, my story, my testimony is kind of, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just my story, right? But some people look at it and they're like, wow, the things that you've gotten to do in your life are like not really normal. I'm like, okay. But <laughs> um, my story kind of starts with dance. I had a love for dance. And so I grew up being in competitive dance, um, competitive palms is what we called it, kind of like the dance team, not cheer, okay, but palms. Um, and that took me to LA. So after I graduated from high school, I decided to go to LA and kind of pursue dance and acting and whatever else. I just wanted to be in entertainment. And so moved there and a couple years into college, I actually auditioned for Laker girls. So I became a Laker girl, which was awesome. I always loved basketball and I said, you know, if I'm going to do any sort of cheerleading on any dance team, it's going to be with the best, which to me, the Laker girls were the best. So I, funny story, short thing. I actually, the very first time I tried out for Laker girls, I didn't make it. I didn't even get past the first round. Oh, I don't (laughs) know this story or I don't remember it. Yes. So 
it's so funny because in Colorado, I had won this scholarship at a dance competition and they said, you get to pass the first round at the Laker Girl auditions in LA. And I was like 15 years old, so I couldn't even be a Laker Girl if I wanted to, but that was kind of the first seed planted, I think, in my life of like, oh my gosh, I could actually do this. That's really cool. And so then when I was, I still wasn't of age, which is funny. I was 17. I auditioned. And I, I was not even old enough to be auditioning, but I got cut the very first round, which is so funny to me because really the first round is like, basically like your looks. I mean, let's be real. It's like you do one pass across the floor and I got cut, but that did not stop me for some reason. I just really was like, nope, I'm going to try out again when I'm older. And two years later, when I could actually drive around LA, I had a car. I didn't even have a car the first time. Um, but then I ended up making it and that sort of changed my whole life from that point. So you were Um, 19? Yes, I was 19 and I was a junior, wait, was I a junior? No, I was a sophomore in college, um, the end of my sophomore year. And so then my whole junior year, I was a Laker girl. And what happened from there is I actually met one of the players. Um, well, I knew the players, obviously, but one of the players reached out to me and showed interest in me, right? And I kind of, that's a whole other long story, but we ended up, dating um shortly after because I ended that Laker girl season um I ended up actually backup dancing for Rihanna which is crazy to think about that I still did that that was right after you finished your Laker career okay so I I danced for Rihanna um the summer of 2016 and that was when I started dating one of the Laker players because as cheerleaders you can't Obviously, you can't right, date the players. Right. So right when I kind of left Laker Girls, that's when we had started dating. And it was like fast-paced. I mean, uh, we were together maybe five months before he proposed. And let me also say this. I was a virgin before him. Okay. So I had waited, you know, I like I said, grew up in church. I knew I was very much a rule follower. Like, kind of a goody two shoes. Like my sister was the one that always got in trouble. And then I'm the middle child. So middle children, (laughs) I was like the peacemaker, you know, learning from my sister's mistakes and I'm just doing everything by the book. And I, so I saved myself for marriage. And then of course I meet this Laker player or he, you know, asks me out and then it couldn't have been, it was maybe three weeks before all that whole virgin alley was like gone. So while you were dating. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So while we were dating, we were not engaged, nothing. And that was out the window. So then, but then I told myself, well, but I am going to marry him. Okay. So it's okay. So you were already, you fell in love with him pretty quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fell in love super fast. Now, looking back though, I mean, it's kind of like when you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette and you're like, of course they're going to fall in love. They're going on these like romantic dates and they're you know well and you were touring for rihanna right and so at the same time was he traveling around nba with the lakers yes he was so did you guys see each other that often um you know we did somehow we made it work but you know this is this is really what got me he actually flew out to germany i was on tour with her in germany and he surprised me out in Germany. Wow. Um, and that's when we had first started talking. And 
So that was really neat. That was kind of like a, whoa, this guy, like what kind of guy is going to fly halfway across the world? Unless he's not serious about you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of like, okay, this whole, I was introduced to this whole other life, right? Like, you know, the red carpets, the whining, the dining, you know, the everything. I mean, everything was at my fingertips. And so I kind of just got lost in that world and fell in love super hard, super fast. And so did he. And then... We got engaged a couple months later. I think it was about five months later. And then we got married um, about a year after that. Exactly a year. But I was 21 at this point. When you got married? Yes. Okay. So it was, you know, pretty quick courtship. Um, but then we planned the wedding for like a year. So that <laughs> was like part of it too. Was um, he a believer too? Like a, did he grow up? Was he a he, Christian? Yes. I would say yes. Um, he did grow up in church. Okay. Okay. But that's one of those things where he knew kind of what to say, right? He knew about God. Um, so we would have conversations, but they were very kind of shallow, right? Okay. And so I was like, oh, he knows God. Oh, great. We're good, you know? Yeah. But it was like, but what does what is his relationship with God? That We never got to that point okay. ever. Yeah. Um, so you got married in 2016? Two, wait, oh my gosh, I was way off when I said no. 2016 earlier. Okay, did that's I say like, that? Yeah, you did say that. I meant 2006. Okay, 2006. <laughs> it's so funny because, duh, I knew you way before 2016. Okay, 2006, <laughs> Whoa. people, 2006. Yeah, this year, all of our brain cells are, have yeah. just been dying. Um, so yeah, it was 2006 okay. that we met. Then we got married 2008. Okay. And then, um, of course, jumped right into being from a college kid. So, okay, so imagine college kid, poor, you know, like just like basically a, a starving artist. I mean, I, I was actually working, but a working dancer. And then go straight into basketball wife. So I'm in the locker room, you know, in the family rooms. I'm And I'm like 22 years old, right? So it was jumping into this whole other life. But remember, my dad was a baseball player. So I was familiar with that lifestyle, that lifestyle, um, not to the degree of, you know, the millionaires and the, the way it is now. But the way I grew up, I was very used to my dad being on the road. And this is what it's like, you know, this is what the players are like. So I just thought, oh, I'm marrying somebody like my dad. So it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but Marriage is hard, <laughs> and is. I was hard. no way prepared for that at all, um, especially not in the lifestyle of an athlete and the, the pressures that they're under and um, just all of the challenges that brings in a marriage to begin with. You know, marriage by itself is hard, but when there's kind of that celebrity and the the added pressures and they're on the road and the stress and the money and you know, more money, more problems, like they say. <laughs> so um, that was hard. And we went through a really rocky season. We had my daughter, which was such a blessing. And that was about a year into the marriage. And sweet Reese, sweet Reese. She's 10, almost 11 now. And um, she's such a blessing. Uh, she came, though, at probably the rockiest time. And, of course, sometimes we think, oh, a baby is going to make things better. It's going to bring us closer. That is not what happened. No. Um, if anything, it just exposed all of our issues even more. 
Um, so we went through a lot. Um, there was, as you can imagine, just infidelity. Um, there was, and he would share a lot of this now. We're, we're good friends, but there was abuse. Um, there was just a whole number of problems. And so eventually it got to kind of the breaking point um, where I filed for divorce and I was like, we're done. Um, the, and the way it really broke was a moment of abuse, physical abuse. And that's kind of where I drew the line, which is interesting because there was so much kind of coercive, like, uh, verbal and emotional abuse before it got physical. But, you know, we don't see until it got to the point where somebody else could see that something was happening to me. It never pushed me to want to leave or to change. Um, and going into this marriage, were you, because of the example you had from your parents, I know they have a really good marriage. Was that something that you were committed to? Was marriage something really important? Like you were in it for the long haul. Oh, yeah. It I wasn't mean, something like if it works out, great. If it doesn't. You were committed. Right. Oh, yeah. I was like, I right. Like you had said, I'd seen my parents be married for 30-something years, and I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm not getting divorced. I'm not going through this again. So this is it for me. And, of course, everybody, I would think most people go into a marriage like that. Maybe not. But um, for me, that was it. I was like, this has to work. So when things would go wrong – Everything in me was like, wait a minute, what do I do? Like, we have to make this work, but nothing was changing. And I was trying counseling and I was trying um, to seek good counsel and all these things, but I just couldn't figure out what to do. I I couldn't even put words to what was going on, to be honest, because it wasn't until he hit me that I was like, oh, this is bad. Like... Now people are accepting of me leaving, right? Like before it's just kind of like, oh, you know, try harder, work through these things, you know. So people did know some of your problems in your marriage, but they would tell you these things, like stick yeah, with it. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, because I was very secretive. So I, I didn't want people to think poorly of him. Okay. I was very much kind of a rescuer, what they call it. Um, now, now that I've done a lot of research and learned and so much counseling and all this stuff, I, I look at myself and I'm like, whoa, I didn't let my friends into my relationship at that point because I didn't want to lose him. So it was like I, I was protecting him, even though all the red flags were there well before we got married, but I wanted him. And so once you get in deep, it's kind of like you're in it. And then whatever anybody says, you don't want to hear it because you're already in love with that person. And so now, oh my gosh, it's so important to really have that accountability and have friends that are going to tell you the truth before you get deep in with that person. I mean, like friendship level, like, yeah, that's hard for me to do too, is even being vulnerable about my own shortcomings. I think too, it can be hard. Like you were saying, you didn't want other people to look at him differently. I think sometimes I don't want other people to look at me differently. Ooh, yeah. And so I imagine for some women, if they maybe if they messed up or if they're doing something wrong, they don't want to tell their friends because they don't want to be judged by them. Yeah. Or men, you know, yeah. either way. Exactly. So it could probably go to both ways like that. You're right. That's a great point. I mean, we all fall short. And so especially when they're personal, private things... 
all it takes is one one conversation for your friends to like hate the guy that you're with. Right. You know? So it's so important you do, like you said, get those friends that are solid. Yes. <laughs> you know, that you really will talk to and they know everything that's going on. I mean, right. that's not to say you share everything with your marriage all the yeah. time with everybody, but yeah. there should be some trusted people you can talk to. So if there are, like you said, red flags, you'll yeah. know ahead of time or if you should be doing something differently, you can know and, yeah. and not get to such a, a hard place. Right. And then feel trapped. Cause right. that's what I felt. I literally at the end, I just felt trapped and I was like, what do I do? So when the whole abuse thing happened for me, it was almost like not a relief that makes it sound horrible, but it was like my ticket out. Finally, I felt like, okay, now I can justifiably leave when that doesn't even really make sense. But in my mind, you know, I grew up in church where they say, you know, God hates divorce. This is, you know, you only leave with marital unfaithfulness and all this stuff. And granted, he had he had cheated and all of that. And I knew all of that. And and I still chose to stand by him, um, which a lot of people I don't think would have. But I did. Um, and we also had a child. So I was really trying to make it work. But I think a lot of my upbringing kind of interfered with my decision making because I was so set on what am I what am I allowed to do biblically right in this situation when it's it can be very confusing. It, it really can because we go to one scripture in the Bible, but we may read that and think, oh, God hates divorce. Okay, so. I can't get divorced. Right. We can get legalistic with it yeah. and not see like why, why, why God right. doesn't want us to get a divorce. And there's so much more to it than just no, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I actually have my Bible open to that scripture because I really had to wrestle with, with that scripture. Cause I was like, okay, my, I'm accountable to God. So for me, and I was always a rule follower and I'm always wanting to please the Lord. So I'm like, if I divorce him, is that my fault? Is it like, I didn't try hard enough? Is it, should I have stayed with him to the, you know, to the end until he divorced me or like, what was I supposed to do? And actually it's in Malachi two, Malachi two sixteen is that verse about divorce. And the Lord says, before even before that scripture it says guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth so he's talking to men here in marriage and he says i hate divorce and i hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment says the lord almighty so again guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith so god in this scripture is really saying like I also hate violence that you're clothing yourself with. And my hatred for divorce stems out of the focus on your violence and your dealing treacherously with your wife or your spouse. This can go either way. It's not just husband to wife here. Um, But the focus is on the person breaking the marital contract, you know, and acting wrongly. And so God's focus is on that. His What he hates is the treachery involved there. And of course, within that, he hates the divorce that comes from it. But that divorce wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the the heart issue, right? Of what's happening. Yeah. 
It's like he didn't design it. He didn't design marriage for us to get a divorce. He doesn't yeah. want us to go through that hardship because right. you would say it's hard. Like you're not happy. Like oh, it wasn't the best yeah. situation to. Okay, let me rephrase. You wouldn't have gone into marriage saying, I want a divorce, you know, whatever. You didn't do that. No. And in fact, in the Bible, God permitted divorce in a lot of situations. Yes. And that's what a lot of people don't know that. And I would encourage people, go look it up. God permitted divorce in situations for the safety of the spouse. Right. Namely, the wife in this, you know, mostly in history because... Men would marry multiple wives. They would treat them horribly. They would treat them like slaves. And yeah. so there's so you have to look at the Bible in the, the full context, context yes. here. He yes, he hates divorce, but he also hates violence. Right. Okay. Divorce can happen because of a trillion different reasons, right? right? But as Christians, sometimes we get so caught up, especially in the church, where we t- tell people oh, infidelity is the only reason you should divorce. Well, okay. Or domestic abuse or those huge... Yeah, the major ones where, of course, you wouldn't want your friend to stay in an abusive relationship. But, okay, let's look at what's abusive. Let's look at... Yeah. One of the biggest things for me was in Corinthians um, where Paul was telling the Corinthians, like, don't even associate with people who practice sexual immorality, who are emotionally or financially abusive. He calls them idolaters, swindlers. He says, don't even eat with them. Okay, so there you have that scripture. It makes me think of what Jesus talked about too in the New Testament that when he says adultery is even with lust. Like that's your thing, adultery. In your mind, you can commit (laughs) adultery. So it's kind of like, okay, we can't just put all our eggs in this one basket, this one scripture of like, Oh, he didn't cheat on you? Oh, you can't divorce. Yeah, because you, I think of, you don't want to stay in a marriage just to stay and say you're married. If at home, you're both miserable. I think Mm -hmm. of the beginning of my marriage with Alex. We were both committed, Mm -hmm. you know, did not want to get a divorce, but it was really hard in the first couple of years. And I considered (laughs) divorce Mm -hmm. and I, and like you were talking about wrestling with, because I also grew up in a Christian home and I know God doesn't want that for us, but I'm like, I, I want us to be happy. Yeah. So what do we do? And so I, I just think like, it's a great, it's everybody in marriage, I think comes to that point. I mean, but I think the problem too, is we set ourselves up kind of for failure because of the world we live in the culture. It's, it's all about us when it comes to marriage. It's like, who's going to complete me? Who's going to let me, you know, have this fantasy life with these memories and the babies and the this and the that and it's like what is the real purpose of marriage and that's what you like I've really had to come to terms with like why does God want us to get married you know and and the best um example I had I heard somewhere they were talking about the blessings of God right and so it was talking about kids like kids are a blessing but we don't we don't get kids out of nowhere kids come from intimacy between a man and a woman and then they make a baby (laughs) reproduction right but without that intimacy between the man and the woman the blessing the child wouldn't come and it's the same with god we want all these blessings from god and marriage being one of them but we don't have the true intimacy with god um and so we try to manipulate those things 
without him even in the picture. And then we expect a healthy, happy, amazing marriage. And it's like, no, <laughs> the foundation is completely off. And God can turn anything around. I mean, he really can. But it has to take two people who really see marriage as a as a vessel to glorify him. Because that's the point of marriage. God created marriage because he thought it was not good for man to be alone because he wanted to demonstrate how Christ loved the church. And so it is a sacrificial love. It isn't just this Hallmark movie thing that we're supposed to do by the time we're 30 and have kids by the time we're 35. And like, it wasn't ever supposed to be that. So it's really all about the Lord. And that's what my divorce really showed me. And back to my testimony, (laughs) my story, I went through another divorce. So I actually, so after I divorced my first husband, I was single for five years. And in that time, I mean. And you had Roman. I want to back up and say when you divorced your husband, you were pregnant. Yes. With your second blessing, Roman. Yep. Who is eight now? He's eight years old now. And that was actually kind of a surprise, to be honest. I have no idea how he was born, <laughs> how he was created. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. Cause I traced it back and I'm like, no, I, I don't know how this happened. But anyway, Roman was born and I actually had filed for divorce right after he was born. So because legally in Texas, you can't divorce while you're pregnant. Um, oh, and, and I, I think didn't know this. Yeah. I don't know if it's just Texas and maybe other states too, but I think it's because they don't want to do the child, like the custody stuff. Like they're like, you might as well just wait and then we'll do the custody with okay. it. Or maybe some families get back together after the baby's born. I don't know. But I, I did get divorced uh, shortly after Roman was born. And then I was just a single mom for five years and... I got my own house. You know, I lived down the street from my parents. I worked part-time, but I was so fortunate that I was able to really stay home with my kids, even as a single mom, and just use those years to, like, really soul-search of who am I? Why did I get married in the first place? That was honestly the biggest revelation for me was, why did I get married, you know? And... And this is when I met you too, is yeah. when Roman, he, I remember he wasn't potty trained yet. He was real little. So uh-huh. I met you not too long after your first divorce. Yeah. And really got to know you then. That's which was right. Fun. It was a good, it was actually a really good season for me. And I see so many good things came from that time. And really, you know, I wrestled with that question, why did I get married? And I, it traced back to my childhood, which everything pretty much traces back to your childhood. But I thought about it. I was like, man, I never had boyfriends growing up. I mean, my first boyfriend wasn't until college really, or, you know, kind of the end of high school, I guess. And, um, I, so I always felt like I wasn't good enough. You know, I I felt like I loved myself, but I was like, why does nobody want to be with me? You know? And I would get asked out to dances and this and that, but they would always be guys I didn't care about. They weren't really like, they were like token guy friend type people and all of that. And you know, that's a big deal at that age, like getting asked to homecoming and these things. And 
I mean, it, it sounds silly, but those things really do shape your mind of how you view yourself and are you worthy and are you, who is like, what is your identity? And so I always kind of felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then when I met my first husband and of all things, he's a Laker player, he's Climb a millionaire, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, stick it guys. Like all of y'all that left me in high school and none of y'all wanted me, but look who's got me now type thing. And that was truly how I felt about it. Even though it was like a horrible, like situation, like we had so many arguments and it was just nasty behind the scenes. Like I felt valuable for once because of what it looked like on the outside. And I had to really wrestle with that myself. You know, I could have said, oh, he was abusive, he cheated, it was all his fault, and anybody would have looked at it and said, yeah, you're right, girl, like, he was just a bad dude, blah, blah, blah. But me, the Lord convicted me, and that's what I used those five years doing is really just figuring out, okay, what is going on in my heart? Like, first of all, why would I marry somebody without even considering what is their relationship with God? You know, that's huge. All it took was him to be like, yeah, I grew up in church. And I'm like, sweet, <laughs> he's fine. Um, I sort of manipulated that to be what I wanted because I thought, and this is another revelation I had later, that if I didn't take this, I would never have another chance again. I sort of thought to myself, well, I'm never going to find somebody better than this because he's got money, he's successful, he's handsome, he's whatever. Um, so you really figured out why you got married. Yes. So I really came to terms with that. And then I just realized, okay, I just need to do some healing work on myself. And I took five years to, to honestly fall in love with with Jesus alone. Jesus as my husband, you know, I call him like my heavenly husband. And, but the story continues, you know, then second time around, I meet somebody and the way I met him was a whole nother crazy kind of like coincidence thing where you're like weird. We kind of like missed each, you know, near miss like two years prior to actually meeting. And then I knew his mom. Um, this guy kind of comes out of nowhere and just sort of, again, sweeps me off my feet. And this time he really loves Jesus, right? So, and in that five years, me and your mom and friends were praying yes. that you would meet a man after God's own heart. And this yeah. this guy was a man after God's own yeah. heart. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> so we like I mean, truly, I mean, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was he knew his Bible. He grew up like in deep church, like black church, you know, <laughs> like Holy Spirit church. And so I had seen him pray over people. I saw him cast out demons. I saw him heal people. Like, I mean, I saw him operating in gifts of the spirit. So right. I'm thinking, okay, this guy is nowhere near, uh, my first husband. Right. Um, so that's another kind of pitfall that can be a danger is when you then compare the person you're with to the last person instead of just seeing who they are in general, like asking God about them. Instead, I chose to compare. So, of course, it looked better than the first guy. So, it could have been anybody. It would have looked better. <laughs> no, that sounds horrible. Um, but, I, so, I fell super quick for him. Same thing. Now, this time around, we were abstinent. 
So here I am trying to do everything right. So we did not have sex. We went to church together. We did studies together. Um, and that's another thing. I also feel like the church really places such a huge emphasis on don't have sex before marriage that it was almost like, oh, okay, so if we don't have sex, then everything's fine. You know, it's like, oh, this person, we're doing this the right way. So God's going to bless it and it's going to be fine. Only in that aspect of sex, right? When there's so many other aspects of a healthy relationship, um, the finances, the expectations, you know, communication, all these other things that may have been like, warning signs going off but for me I just thought oh he loves God and we're not having sex so God's gonna bless it it's gonna be fine so you Um, get married so we get married um literally we were only married a year and a half and during that first year you know it started great it started very subtle little things would kind of pop up just like any relationship I think Um, You kind of have these arguments, but then, but certain things would happen where I was like, whoa, these are kind of like big issues. But to me, in my mind, I thought, oh, God is just pruning him. God is just kind of exposing certain things to heal and blah, blah, blah. And which he probably was doing, but, but in the end, there wasn't really like major changes happening. So little things would happen they'd become more and more frequent and then they would become more and more intense, these arguments and these big issues. And we did the premarital, we did all of that. And you guys were married, a blended family. You have your two kids, he has three kids. And so you're, oh, four kids. And then you're living together with yeah, all these yeah. kids, which is hard too. Oh, oh yeah. if any of you have kids, you know, <laughs> marriage can be hard, but marriage with kids can oh, really be hard. And then marriage with somebody else's kids. A whole nother. Oh my goodness. Like I'm telling you, my blended family, friends, like God bless you. It is <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Oh my gosh. It was so hard. And so part of me thought, well, this is like my cross to bear, you know, like right. God has strengthened me like this is what I'm just supposed to go through and you know blah 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 but it was it was hard and it just a lot of junk was coming out and I didn't know what to do with it and again I made the mistake of not really bringing my friends necessarily they knew him but they didn't know some of like the the dirt the messy stuff that was happening in our courtship, I should say. Because okay. to me, he would be like, oh, don't tell people that. That's our business, da 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 And I'm like, well, this is like your life, you know? Like, I I mean, I respected that. Like, if he wants to share that with people, he can. I didn't want to slander him, which is what people will say in church. Like, don't talk badly about him. Don't. But there's a difference between p- talking badly about somebody and then... Seeking Going counsel. to your, you know, safe people or mentors and actually exposing some of what's actually going on. You know, um, we're supposed to expose the evil deeds, right, of, of whatever it is around us. We're supposed to call out truth. And if we're not actually willing to share what's going on with us, and I'm not saying with everybody, I'm not saying with just your 
even some of your closest friends maybe shouldn't know, but maybe that trusted person or your pastor or a counselor, somebody needs to know what's going on so you can actually deal with what's happening. Yeah, I think God does that too. As he, God, it talks about in scripture, him exposing things, bringing it to the light so yeah. we can heal it. Absolutely. Like, and that goes with everything in our life, right? You know, yeah. if we put it all before the Lord, then he can heal us you know, on the inside out. Exactly. <laughs> if we don't actually let him have it, then he's never going to fix it. Right. Um, and the church as a whole, um, you know, when you would ask me, you know, when Cass had said she wanted to kind of talk through my story and about divorce, I was like, wow, you know, I, I was excited because divorce is not really talked about in the church. It's usually just a don't get divorced type situation. And, but what do you do when there is abuse, when there is infidelity, when there is, I mean, it could be emotional abuse. It could be financial abuse or deceit somewhere in there. What are you supposed to do? You know? And, and the answer is often just go to counseling. Well, what I found out was counseling really wasn't helping us. And, and here's why. And I'm, I'm such a fan of counseling, so I don't want this to sound like, oh, counseling isn't the answer. And we're a fan of the church. Let me just clarify. Yes. We love the church. Too. Oh my gosh. The church is like everything, right? Yeah. But I, what I discovered is that we are the church, right? So it's, it's, it takes individual conversations. It takes people, friends to be your accountability, to speak truth. We need to be those type of friends for other people. And we need to seek out those friendships because it's in those dark times that you may try to go to the institution of church and you may not get much help. And um, that's why we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because for me, I in at the time, I was kind of bouncing between multiple churches. I Of course, all of our friends are believers and I had good people to go to, but it was really the friends that helped me get through some of the darkest moments. Um, so speaking of friends, how did friends help you in those hard times before? Well, you can talk about like before your marriages in your courtship or after walking through um, divorce with you. What did some of your friends do that was helpful? Sure. Um, the biggest thing, obviously pray. I knew... I had friends that were praying over me, over my situation. Actually, in fact, Cassie was one of the people during one of the really rocky times, and we hadn't separated or anything yet. This is my second marriage. She had um, fasted and prayed. She had called one of her spiritual mentors to pray over me and we met this lady at her house and i mean she was beverly palmer (laughs) anointed woman of god i think everybody needs to set foot in beverly's house everybody needs a beverly okay (laughs) come out healed and whole (laughs) (laughs) i mean she had like she had fasted for me and i had barely knew her i was like who is this woman right to fast over me and my marriage And that by itself was huge. But then she was sharing just these huge prophecies over my life and really speaking specific things and even visions that she had of me. And one of them, she said she saw me in the ocean and I was like on this tiny little red boogie board and I was like holding on for dear life. And I'm like, my head's down and I'm just holding on. 
And she said, Jesus was there and was looking at me, but I was so terrified and I was so like just hanging on and not, I wasn't looking at him and he was right there, like ready to help me. But I was just bearing these waves, right? Like terrified to fall in. And so I've never forgotten that, that imagery. And it just, those are the types of things people who really care about you and love the Lord, they're going to step up and do, they're going to pray. Um, I had people even send me money, like, like just asking, Hey, what can I do for you? Like, what do you need right now? You know, maybe it's a meal. Cassie, you even did that for me. She brought me food. I mean, you mean after separation, after separation. Um, but even like right before I separated, I remember, I had $8 in my bank account, eight, because money was moved and all sorts of just craziness was going on. And I had no idea how I was going to make it. I knew I was going to leave, but I didn't know. I mean, I had $8 in my bank and I was like, how am I going to send my kids to school? Like they don't even have enough money for lunch. Like what am I going to do? At the time I was working part-time. So I was like, I need to find a job. Like my whole life is about to change. And you wonder why women are scared sometimes to leave or even men, like, because there's so much attached to their life with that person that it's like, I've got to change my whole life to survive. And I don't know if I'm going to do it. Yeah. Especially with kids. Right. And I, so I didn't leave right away because my kids were in school. So I was like, all right, I'm going to finish out this school year. So there was about a month in there that it was just hell at home. I mean, I, it was just miserable, but I remember a couple friends, like, what do you need? Um, they would send me money or bring food or pray or just leave an audio text with prayer on it. I mean, so that was really helpful for you. Yes, that was huge. And, and you have to be so careful who you listen to and what advice you're bringing in and who you're sharing things with too. So you really have to have that discernment from the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. To know. And that was, that was the hugest uh, struggle for me because I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to believe. I, all of my friends were believers, right? And all of them were saying different things. So I had some friends who were just directing me to God, which I believe is the best thing to do, like not necessarily inserting your opinion. Let me ask you something real quick. I want to pause you there. So were you turning to God in this time more than you were turning to friends? Oh yeah. I, I would say yes. Um, yes and no. I, I really truly was, but I was also so distraught. Now this, the second time around, remember the first marriage, it was like abuse and I'm out of there and okay, we're just going to get through this. And, but I had money, you know, I had family, like I was okay. It was just rough. Whereas with this situation, I didn't have money. It was my second marriage. Um, I really, it wasn't as obvious of certain roots of sin that were residing in the home, you know. Um, I had no proof of cheating. I had... No you weren't physical abuse. Yeah. So there was just a lot of things that were really murky to me. But people that discerned, um, you know, they just said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And go to scripture and go, 
you know, ask the Lord to give you discernment when it comes to what it really looks like to follow his commands. Because even Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my commands. And so I kept coming back to that, like, but he loves Jesus, but he loves Jesus, but he loves Jesus. And then I realized, well, I am not one to judge anybody's relationship with God. So that's not what I'm saying here. But but there were certain things happening that did not align with God's will. And even though I couldn't put a specific finger on some of them, other ones, I absolutely could. And I was like, how do you justify this when God is clear as day saying, have nothing to do with this, get away from it. Like don't even eat with somebody who acts like this. Then I'm like, well, what if, what if this is your husband? What if, you know, aren't you supposed to just pray, 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 and maybe they'll change. And so I was wrestling with all of this and through it all though, I really was seeking God. And, and this is what he did for me. God brought a woman to me that she had actually asked me to do one of her Bible studies a long time prior. She didn't even know anything was going on in my marriage. She had no idea. And I actually had turned her down. <laughs> I said, no, I just can't fit it in right now. I just didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it fit for me. For it, it was a very specific Bible study about betrayal and about um, marriage and just infidelity and sexual immorality and sort of things like that happening in your marriage. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe she means like my first marriage. Um, maybe, maybe that would be a good study for me, but not right now. Well, I turned her down. And then when things got really, really bad in my marriage, then she just out of the blue messages me again and is like, hey, you know, I know you couldn't do it the first time around, but what about now? Like, I just, for whatever reason, feel like you're supposed to do this group. And I told her, no, again. <laughs> well, I sort of said no, but I was like, well, maybe. And I bought the curriculum. I bought the book, but this time I was like, I'll just do it at home. I didn't want to be with people. And so I started doing the book at home by myself and I just knew, I was like, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. I'm for sure supposed to be doing this book. Everything was adding up. It was just like somebody was reading my thoughts, you know? And so, and this is before your divorces, yes, you have a divorce. This yeah. is like, even before I separated, I started doing this book. Well, then again, uh, kind of another major traumatic event occurred between my spouse and his child. And that was kind of my last straw, to be honest. I That happened. And then I knew it wasn't even safe to be in the home with him between my two kids and him. I just was like, nope, this isn't safe. So now I'm going to separate. So at that point, I decided to separate and I chose to move out and just rent a house and be on my own. And that's where the real like turmoil of just like decision making and what do I do? And God says this and how do I fight for my marriage? But this is happening, but my emotions are going. Did you still want to be married at this point? Um, At this point, when you were separated, to be honest, no, I... I had tried and tried and tried and up to that. And we had done counseling. Let me say that. We we did counseling. Um, 
But the one bummer about counseling is it's like you have that one meeting, like an hour, that one week, and then you have to wait till the very next week to talk again. And it's like excruciating when you're in a bad marriage to wait a whole nother week. And let's be honest, usually one spouse is the one that wants to do counseling. The other one doesn't. Right. And that so, happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay. So I felt like I was kind of forcing him to do it and it just was not going well. And here's the thing about counseling is that you, marriage counseling is great, but sometimes there's kind of a deeper root issue in one person or maybe both that needs to be healed in individual counseling before you can even work on marital counseling. Because think of it this way, if you're, let's say your spouse is an alcoholic and because of their addiction, they're going out to bars and then they're meeting bad people and then they're cheating and then they find themselves using drugs or they, you know, and then it spirals into this mean violence or whatever it may be. And then the two of you are going to try to go to marriage counseling when, when they're trying to help you learn how to communicate and how can we, you know, help each other and love each other better when it's like, really the root issue is his addiction to alcohol. Like you need to address that there, you know, and that's kind of, I think one of the problems with people that are trying to help is that they sort of misdiagnose the root issues and then therefore it's kind of the wrong treatment plan. So just like with somebody who's sick, if you misdiagnose, you're going to have the wrong treatment plan. If you misdiagnose what's going on in a marriage, then you're going to have the wrong treatment plan and you're going to be trying to do this marital counseling for years and it may not help you if there's addictions and trauma and things going on internally that the Lord needs to clean out and heal in that both people truly by themselves because it's so good. There's such a good point there too, as far as, um, as far as marriage and any marriage, Mm -hmm. I think we have to ourselves first, the wife and the husband go before the Lord and be obedient. Like you were talking about to him, we have to be obedient with looking to him and having ourselves right with him first, or our marriage is not going to work well. Like I think about Alex and I, if I'm always telling him what to do, or if I'm like saying, talking about his shortcomings or whatever, that doesn't make him change. Like, right. it just makes him feel like I'm controlling him more yeah. you know, or micromanaging him or something. But when I go before the Lord and I bring all that to him, then he really does change me and show me what he wants to do. And so when I'm sticking close to him and following him, then it's like, oh, he's working out the rest and I can pray for him like things that I can do. And I know, I don't know, you can, we could talk about all of these things for hours, but I just think about, we really have to do that. We have to go before the Lord and do our own part or it's not going to work well. Like if Alex is never doing his part of going to the Lord or listening to the Lord and he just, you know, whatever, it's not going to be a happy marriage. Right. And that's why it's so important to figure that out kind of before you get married, to be honest. I mean, God can do so much of that work in marriage and he does. But before the marriage is not the answer, like the marriage is a blessing from God. And so you have to, you're accountable to God yourself and you're responsible for your own actions. You're responsible for your own righteous. I mean, God makes us righteous, but we have to believe and we have to rectify our own actions, you know? And so that's what really marriage is like that mirror that you just 
are bumped up against that person and you see each other's flaws and you see your own flaws and it's like, but God uses it to sharpen each other if you're both submitting to him. And we have to know the word or we're not going to know any of this. Like what you said earlier, we have to know context. Because if we just hear one little scripture that says, like you said, God doesn't want divorce or or submit to your husbands or husbands love your wife or wives respect your like a million different ones. And we just look at the scripture then and not get the whole context. Yeah. That's not right. Right. That doesn't help us. And I'm telling you, that one little scripture about wives submit to your husbands in everything really messed me up for a lot of years. Because I was like, I, I don't get it. How am I supposed to submit in everything? And it wasn't until I went through my separation and I really got some healing and, and good resources. And I'm going to tell you some that literally changed my life that I heard, okay, that scripture, yes, submit to him in everything. But again, the whole Bible as a con, you know, in context, he tells us to, we're not supposed to operate in sin, right? Sin leads to death. So we, if our husband is operating in sin and he is the leader of our family, we don't submit to sin, right? We, we can submit to our husband, but when he's asking us to do something that is sinful in God's eyes, God does not expect us to do that or to agree with it or not call it out like we were talking about earlier. There are... We're it makes me think of those like news articles, the terrible news articles that you see of like a man and a woman going to jail for abusing the kids, but yeah. the woman's going to jail or vice versa, whatever, because she just didn't do anything to stop it. Even yeah. if she wasn't doing the abuse, it's kind of, that's yeah. like a really extreme example, right. but I'm thinking it's exactly what you said. You're not going to just be like, well, you're my husband. So I'm just going to submit to you while you beat our kids or whatever. Right. You know? And here's another whole other layer that we didn't even talk about spiritual abuse. Okay. Because, and, and, It's funny, I can talk about all these things because I had two completely different marriages, but I've probably experienced every scope of reason why you would probably divorce someone, whether it was financial, spiritual, emotional, you know, relational, whatever it could possibly be, I've probably experienced it. Um, And one marriage, and both of them, it it was like, you didn't really want to divorce, but... Oh, then yeah. you did. Like, yeah, there's oh, so many I different. Mean, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would divorce my second husband. I yeah. mean, I was like so head over heels in love and just, I mean, he was like my best friend. Like we, I was like, there's no way this is going to fall apart. And there were just certain things again, that if I was reading my Bible and I was looking at him and I was looking at the marriage and I was like, this is not adding up. And I, I realized God, God, yes, he hates divorce, but he also is actively intervening on my behalf for my safety and my sanity. And just like he is any spouse, right? He wants us to be safe and whole and in the purpose of marriage, which is to glorify him. So if this is not glorifying him, in fact, if it is, if there are some things exposed that are evil or idolatrous or, you know, operating in all these things that even Paul tells the Corinthians to run from, then that that's where I had to do the soul searching to be like, okay, God, you tell me if I am justified to leave. And it took me a long time 
to, to figure that out. And here's where it really, I believe this is the most helpful thing that you can do as a person that is struggling in a separation, um, Christian or not, and also for friends that are trying to help somebody that's going through this is create a safety plan. So um, there's so many good authors. Um, first of all, Leslie Vernick. Shout out Leslie Vernick. This woman changed my life. She has a book called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. And I'll put that in the show notes. Yes. It, I mean, the title, you're kind of like, whoa. <laughs> Don't let my husband catch me reading this type thing. But it has this quiz in the front. And it wasn't until I did this quiz that I realized I was in an abusive marriage. And this is good for men and women this Yes. Month. Oh, yes. Men and women. Um, but she had, in the quiz, it's just, you know, these questions, right? And it's like, has this ever happened to you? You know, yes or no. And then you count up your yeses at the end. And she's like, all right, if you're in this frame. So it was like, if you've experienced three or more, you're in an abusive relationship. Do you want to know how many I checked off? You're going to die. How many? 30. Oh, 30. It was like 30 out of 33 or something I had checked off. And I had no idea that I was in an abusive marriage. I just thought because he, I had no proof of cheating and he had never physically hurt me. So here I am here doing this quiz and I'm like, holy cow, there is a whole other, there are forms of abuse that we are not taught, that we don't hear about, that we may have no concept of. And uh, one of those being spiritual abuse, I kind of got off on a tangent about that, but the spiritual abuse is we can use scripture and say, oh, wives, you're supposed to submit to me in everything. So I'm saying do this, you're supposed to submit. That messed me up because I was like, wait a minute, you're you're asking me to lie or this isn't real or this is um, blame or shame or condemnation. That's not of God. I know this, but but I had to wrestle with that scripture. And when you wrestle with scripture with God, he reveals truth. He reveals revelation about that scripture because here we are so often as Christians, we read the Bible and we're like, oh, you know, this is what it says. And then you're confused and you stop there and you just literally stop there and move on instead of like pressing into God and being like, I don't understand this. What do you mean when you say you hate divorce? What was divorce like back then? Who is he talking to in this scripture? Where else does it talk about this in the Bible? Where else can I? And you've got to know info? the Holy Spirit's voice because, and, and we all can, mm-hmm. and we have to learn it to know what he's saying. Yeah. Because like you said, if we just stop there, we're not going to know what he's saying to us. No. And so if you're wondering how, maybe you are in that place wondering how you know the Holy Spirit's voice. You can start with like the little things. First of all, go to him in prayer and say, Father, I want to know your voice, Holy Spirit. Like speak to me. And I remember doing this a couple years ago. And I remember like literally, this sounds so silly, but standing before the refrigerator, Lord, is this your voice? Do you want me to do (laughs) open this refrigerator? Like, do you want me to get this right now? But the whole point of that is I was really just trying to learn it in the small things. So I would know for the big things what his voice was. Right. And open your Bible. Like, yeah, you have I mean, to know the word. there's stuff in there that you never would know was in there. And you can apply every single decision. Like you said, opening your fridge, eating something right now, buying this or buying that, or how do I talk to my kids? There's an answer for everything in the Bible. And that's what it's for, to go to for guidance from God. And so 
Um, that's one of the major things I had to do. So what did the church do really well in helping you? Oh yeah. Um, really? So we are the church, right? Right. So as believers, we, we carry Christ in us and I saw so much love and prayer and resources. I think the biggest thing that I think and God orchestrated all of it. So I was super, you know, prayerful about like, God, please help me, help me. And he sent people, he sent his people to help me. And one of the things was resources through a lot of curriculum, which I, I think God knows me. I'm a studier. I, I love books in general. And so um, I had mentioned it earlier about this study that this woman had really encouraged me to join. And when I Finally, when my marriage like really bottomed out, I decided to join a group and I did the curriculum in a group and the biggest thing it had in there was this safety plan and the safety plan was the turning point, honestly, of both of my marriages because I had kind of heard of a similar thing with my first marriage and it really set the stage for, it was a plan for me, right? That was gonna guide my decisions in truth and knowing what God what God wanted to do for me and, and how he wanted to keep me safe in this situation. And so the safety plan looked like certain boundaries that you would have with your spouse. Maybe it is, okay, Maybe if some of the things you're struggling with are financially related, you would say, okay, my boundary here is that every month I'm able to see the credit card statement and it had, it always would have a consequence with it. So it's like, okay, if you spent the credit card on here, you know, after we agreed upon it together, not to use this card, then I'm going to blank. I'm going to take the credit card. I'm going to cancel it. I'm going to whatever. Right. And so there were all these little things you would do, little boundaries that you would write out and you would go to your mentor or counselor or whoever to help you with this. So it's not just you making all these rules and stipulations on your own and giving him this like 50 page list of things when you don't have any responsibility either, because in the safety plan, you have to say what you're willing to do. I'm willing to remain in counseling. I'm willing to show you my bank records. I'm willing to whatever it is. And you have to really ask the Lord what needs to go on there. But there's so many good resources that can help you with making this safety plan. So I did that. And in both marriages, I presented that plan and they didn't receive it. So it to me, it was okay, I'm going to give this safety trust plan, right? And there's these things. And if if they are truly willing to work on the marriage, both people, then they're going to be willing to do whatever it takes. Um, That's a good word. Yeah. Because you both have to be willing for a marriage to not just stay married, but to thrive. You both have to be willing to humble yourself before the Lord and each other. And it's not enough to just say, I'm going to do, I'll do whatever it takes. And then she's asking you to change your phone number, but you're not going to do it. You know what I mean? Right. I thought you said you'd be willing to do anything. Well, maybe for her, her security lies in you giving her the passwords to your social media. Maybe that's what it's going to take for her to feel like you're willing to do something that's really like 
causing a rift in your marriage, whatever it is, it could be anything. And I feel like your counselors and your mentors and the people that really know God and are spirit led, God's going to bring you those people if you're praying and asking for it and you can go to them and they can craft that with you and figure out what's important, what's not, what you can do as well to show that you're willing to make some changes. And if that person doesn't receive that or, um, then that's also in, in the safety plan. Hey, if you're not willing to try in some of these things and, and there's, I mean, they make it specific, like after this amount of time, we'll get separated. Or maybe it starts with, you're going to sleep on the couch. Maybe then it goes to, I'm going to stay at my mom's house. And then it goes to, you know, divorce is of course the last resort. But for me, that safety plan was the turning point because there were some crucial things in there that I absolutely needed for my safety in the marriage. And let's be real. If you, if you don't trust your spouse, then you're just like, what do you have? You know what I mean? Like if you don't have trust as a foundation, you really don't have much. So that has to be rebuilt when it's broken. It has to be rebuilt. You have to earn that back. It's not like, oh, you can't expect that person to automatically trust you after you just lied and betrayed them to the deepest degree, right? So that's part of the safety plan too. They have to show those little steps of rebuilding trust. If they're not willing to do that, then you have to make the hard decisions, um, of course, that the Lord shows you in order to go to that place of safety. And that might mean separating. It, It may mean divorce. And that's the hardest pill to swallow is like, what the what ifs what if he doesn't do it what if he does and or what if he does for a little bit and then comes right back around and and fails again and that's where you need the holy spirit to show you true wisdom because that's where the plan comes in handy because when they mess up you're both already in agreement of what's going to happen okay if you curse at me again we both know you're going to sleep on the couch so because you it. shouldn't talk yeah. to your spouse that way. <laughs> yeah, like so we already are in agreement about what's supposed to happen. So it actually helps both of you. It's kind of like parenting. Like if your kids already know, hey, you know, there's if they already know, look, when I do this, I'm going to get in trouble, then they're going to avoid it if they don't want to get in trouble. So. Or they'll be like Judah and do it and go and hide. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot of things that God does for us to protect us. So it's kind of like, okay, we tell our kids, don't run in the street because I don't want you to get hit by a car. Right. It's not because I don't yeah. want you to play and have fun. Yeah. He's not like, don't divorce because I don't want you to divorce yeah. because I don't want you to get hurt. Right. It's like, don't cheat on your spouse because I know where this leads to. I know the pain. Don't oh, don't crack that door open. Don't talk to that person on social media because God knows where that could lead to. And if you don't have that discernment from the Holy Spirit and the conviction of it, then you could be opening some doors that lead to a really dark path. And so again, the safety plan just really helps for both of your protection and sort of a just like a plan in place because then you're just Otherwise, you're just flailing and just, how do we get through this? And oh, and it's just so many emotions. So let me ask you, it's been how many years since your second divorce? 
Only one. Only one year. So it's been one year since you divorced. So what, so you knew that you were supposed to get a divorce Mm -hmm. in both marriages. Finally, you came to that. Yeah. And then what happened afterwards after in this last year for you, Mm -hmm. what has happened? Oh gosh. You know, just a lot of healing again, honestly, because this, this time around, it was so much more devastating because I really thought this marriage was going to glorify God. And I just had so many things attached to it, ministry dreams and, you know, just other dreams that were attached to this marriage. I didn't have the first time that I had to grieve over that there was like a death to so many different things. But this past year has been really a beautiful healing in me and where God is sort of restoring just my whole identity in general. And, and also kind of learning about why I got married this time, you know? Um, and this time my heart was so pure, you know, the first time I don't think it truly was to be honest, but this time it it really was pure, but God has shown me a whole nother side of following him to where we really need each other in this walk. We need each other and, and me personally, I tend to internalize and I tend to kind of, I find my kind, I regenerate like in solitude. And so God is saying, that's great, but you also need to really trust me and seek the people around you for help. And had I not answered that girl's text, first of all, had she not been listening to the Holy Spirit to invite me to that class, I wouldn't have ever gotten freedom there. Um, But had I not actually (laughs) submitted to that and been obedient to God and said, okay, I really do need some help here. This isn't just about my husband and his mess. This is about me. Like, what are the issues in me that I need to wrestle with? Why am I always rescuing people? Why am I struggling with people pleasing? Why am I afraid to make decisions? Why do I not value myself in a way that feels like, oh, why am I confused about what trust really is? You know, I mean, I could think of a thousand questions that I had to wrestle with God over. And that's that's the best place to be in because God wants you to be so broken that he can actually put you back together. Like you're handing him all the broken pieces and he puts it together. And it's never this perfect picture of what we think. To him, it's perfect. But to us, we look at it and we're like, I'm just such a mess. And God, like, just help me. (laughs) Like, I don't know even what to do. And God's like, you're right where I want you to be. Because here is where I'm going to teach you who you really are. And so that's, that's been happening this year. Yes. That's what starts everything. That's what's helped me to truly fall in love with Jesus again and like for real and to realize I don't need a marriage. Like, I mean, I my desire is to get married and I love marriage. I'm for marriage. I think marriage is so beautiful and ultimately that's what I want. But I am coming to a place where I'm like, Jesus truly is enough. And that's what I've, my mom always told me that. And I literally have it printed on a frame at the front of my door that Jesus is enough. And when you get to that place, you can go on into marriage or not into marriage and be okay. Because 
marriage is going to be hard and you still have to go to God yourself and have that intimacy with him to know how to navigate life, navigate marriage, navigate parenthood, navigate work, navigate purpose. It doesn't matter what you have to navigate. You still need that intimacy with God. And so this last year has been about learning that and just getting so lost in that, that I'm like content, you know, I'm truly, I can truly say that, you know, I mean, so often we say that and we're like, I'm content, even if I don't get married, but secretly we're like, so dying to be in a relationship. And I feel like I'm finally in the place where I really am content, whether God blesses me with that or not, or whether I'm blessed to have more kids or not. It's okay because I trust that his plan is so much better. And for those of you that may be listening and you are in the pit of separation or divorce and you just, I can tell you, I remember it so clearly being so dark and just so depressing and feeling like, will I ever feel happy again? Will I ever not cry myself to sleep again? Will I ever just feel okay I am telling you, you are going to be more than okay when you seek your heavenly father because he really is your husband, even when you are married. For those of you that are married and maybe you're just struggling in your marriage, Jesus is your heavenly husband and he is going to help you in ways that no human can and he's going to love on you in ways no human being can and he's the lover of our soul. And so that's the point. The point is to grow in intimacy with him and to fall in love with him. And as you do that, he just restores all the broken places and you start to feel his peace that surpasses understanding that people talk about in church, you know, the churchy talk of like, oh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's so true. When you're in the valley, you're like, I need the joy. I feel horrible. But but God's the only one that can give you that. And, And it is a pressing into him. It's a pressing in. It's a constant pressing in. But I'm telling you, it is so worth it. Go to your Bible. Go to people you see or know that seem to exhibit that love for Jesus and ask them, what do I do to get that same love? How do I heal these places in myself? Like, how do I allow God to heal those places? I like that you said a pressing in because I I feel like that's the season I'm in right now too. Mm-hmm. Not in in one specific area, but like every area. Yeah. Really pressing into him because I can so easily get distracted and not focus where he really yeah. is helping me. The other day I prayed, Lord, order my steps. And he's been doing it. But for me to know that he's doing it, I have to stay so close, so focused on him. Yes. Literally, like, it's such a discipline for me to press in and to stay focused so I will do what he wants me to do. And I told you before we started this, like, I feel like a better mom, a better wife, just a better human for doing that. So I love that you said pressing in because regardless of whatever season you're in, what, regardless of whatever place you find yourself in, if it's, you know, in a happy marriage that things are going well, or if things are really hard that you are con- contemplating divorce, or if you're right yeah. after a divorce, whatever, it really is. He is has to be our everything. Because I've learned that he is the only one, like you said, yeah. that can provide that peace. He literally is the only one right. that can give us that. Yeah. And it's like, 
you know, I think of that scripture all the time that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we're seeking God and we're like desperate for him and his presence and whatever the heck that means, (laughs) because you'll hear churchy people or you may think they're churchy. Um, we're probably those people now, (laughs) but you hear people say like the presence of God and you're just like, what the heck is that? Um, it is such a piece. It's a, it's just like, I think of it almost like a big hug wrapping around you and he inhabits, he shows up when you start praising. And so oh, I would so also good. So good. encourage you and Cassie and I, both of our, we pick a word every year and both of us unaware until later discovered that both of us had the word worship. And I am telling you, it has, ch- it changes everything. For it does. Me. It is it is the saving grace because he comes in. He inhabits your praises. So even when you feel like crap, when you are in the pits of hell, it seems like, if you just start praising him, I don't That's care so if you true. have to turn on worship music or start praising God, even when you don't feel like it or maybe don't even believe what you're saying, I'm telling you, he will start to come in and he's going to start chipping away at that hardness in your heart and when you praise him, you can't help but take your eyes off of your junk, you know, and because you have to come to terms with, do you actually believe what God says or not? Because God, he says he is a healer. He is a comforter. He is a counselor. He is the lover of your soul. He is all these things. This whole book is promises that he has for you. And so you may come to a point where you're like, you know what? I actually don't really trust what he says because here I am worrying like crazy. I feel like nothing's going to get better. Um, So you need to, I encourage you, take that to God and say, help me to trust you. Help me. It's like that scripture, like, I do believe, help my unbelief, you know? Everybody struggles with this. This is not you. You are not by yourself on a lonely, you know, a lonely Wrapped place. Out in the ocean. Just, yeah, like like her prophecy, <laughs> me on this little boogie board, like, help. Look up to him. Look up to him. Lift your head. He is the lifter of your head. And he catches every one of your tears in a bottle. And he's not the voice of shame. He's not yes. the voice of condemnation. He's not telling you, you should have, you shouldn't have. That is not his voice. So yes. going back to learning his voice, it all starts there. It all starts him. there. And I'm telling you, when you start to worship, when you start to live and operate in his commands and actually focusing on yourself and what can I do to live unto God, everything around you is going to change because you're changing. Your heart is going to change and God is going to, it may get worse before it gets better. So it doesn't mean everything's going to magically shift and you're going to be like, woohoo. Like it just means keep pressing in and keep trusting him because he sees the whole big picture. And if you keep sticking so close to him, like annoyingly close to him, (laughs) it's not annoying to him, but do that then it, he will totally help you as he takes you on this journey. Yes. And it's one step at a time. It's like the scripture, he is a lamp unto my feet, to your feet. So you may only see one step ahead of you. You just keep doing the next right thing. Keep doing the next right thing. One step at a time. And I'm telling you, before you know it, you're going to look back and you're going to be in a whole different area. And he may miraculously save your marriage. And I pray he does. I pray that he brings... Uh, restoration, whatever that looks like, but first true repentance unto him on both sides, because it's 
his loving kindness that leads us to repentance and and through repentance he can actually heal so he may restore your marriage he may heal it or he may heal you apart from your spouse and that's okay too but like you said shame and blame do not come from god so if you are walking through a divorce and you keep hearing voices of shame reject that in the name of jesus we rebuke it because God, if you are serving the Lord God Almighty and you are clinging to his promises and walking in his righteousness, then that shame doesn't belong. And you can be, you can know that he knows your heart because above all else, nobody is going to truly know your story. Nobody is going to really know what was happening behind those closed doors. Nobody is going to know what's happening in your heart, but God. So God is the one that you can Uh, You can rely on him in knowing that he is your defender no matter what, but you really are going to be okay when you trust in God. It's so good, Allie. So good. And I see Mm. like, I know. There's so much more that we can say. We were literally like worshiping at this table. If you can see us right now, I mean, we've got arms (laughs) raised. We're like (laughs) pounding the table, table, getting into it. And maybe you're doing that too while you're driving, just hitting your steering wheel or something (laughs) with us. We hope you are. But Mm -hmm. so you really have seen God in so many ways, like in this, your whole life. So many ways through the good and the bad. He He works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So if you just believe him, he's going to take you where you're supposed to be. You just have to walk in obedience. And I've, it's a hard road. I'm not going to lie to you. There's been some things he's made me do that I'm like, oh my gosh, like discipline, you know, but there's joy that comes from obedience. And when it comes to relationships, we don't know it all. We, oh my gosh, we're so lacking. That's why we need him for guidance. We need to encourage each other. We need to go back to his word. We need to pray. We need to love one another. And some of the friendships I've had, including Cassie, I wouldn't be as whole as I am and healthy as I am today without the love of friendships who have shown me um, just God's love because that's what truly changes people, right? Like when you're the tangible when you experience the tangible love of God, it it changes you and you realize that didn't come from herself. That came from God. So if God used her to help me, then he loves me a lot. And I hope that when you're listening to this, that you feel God's love personally, that we can be an encouragement to you because God loves you so much. He loves your spouse so much. He loves your divorced husband or wife so much. And he is going to, he's going to make those places whole again. Will you actually pray for, for everyone just on this podcast? Will you pray for marriages? I mean, whatever's on your heart, but people Mm -hmm. that might be in this situation where it's really hard or they're just in marriage and for their marriage or single parents or whatever's Mm -hmm. on your heart. Will you pray for us? Absolutely. Lord God, I just thank you for this, um, just this time of really getting to press in and think about the ways that you really have changed my life. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to whoever's listening right now. Maybe it's somebody that's going to go on and share this truth with somebody else who's hurting. Maybe it's somebody who's in the throes of divorce right now or in the throes of separation, God, would you come in, just swoop in and have an encounter 
with every single person that listens to this right now, Jesus, would you just have your way and let people know that ultimately everything in life is designed to bring us closer to you. Every hardship, every mountaintop, every valley, um, your love and your word penetrates like a double-edged sword. It, it penetrates in order to discipline us and it also penetrates in order to heal us and to bring comfort in the worst of times. And Jesus, you know it better than anyone. You were betrayed. You had to learn submission to your father. You had to learn servanthood and you were the best of both. You were a leader. You were just everything. And we can learn from that God in whether we're the person being hurt or Hurting, you know, oftentimes hurt people hurt people. And I just pray, God, that you know the hearts of the listeners. You know who needs what. And that's why we need to come to you as our creator in order to to look to you where our help comes from, um, to know how to treat our husbands, how to treat those who are in hurt marriages. God, you're the answer to everything. You really are the answer to everything. And God, you make things clear when they're fuzzy. And so I just pray that this would inspire people to worship. It would inspire people to press in, to get answers, um, to get healing, to get truth. Maybe somebody needs to be convicted right now of some just harsh sin that they're holding on to in their life. Maybe somebody needs to let go and, and say, I'm done trying to manipulate and trying to control this relationship. Um, I pray for all the children that are in these homes of um, maybe separated families or blended families or divorced families, God, that you would just be their comfort, God. Um, I pray that as parents uh, and co-parents that they wouldn't speak harshly about the other parent to their children or in front of their children, Lord, um, that you would just protect their eyes and ears from what they may see and let those parents know if they're experiencing shame um, in regards to how their children will be impacted from this, that you will remind them that you are their father too, that you comfort all of your children, including our babies, and you're going to take them to places that maybe they couldn't have gone um, had they not walked through this. But you, Lord, are close to the brokenhearted. You love your people and you are um, the restorer. You are the repairer of broken walls. So every broken wall, no matter what people are facing, God, I pray that you would just start to repair it brick by brick and that you would help us all to be obedient and walk in that and love one another, encourage one another in you. And we pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We went to church today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You are such a wise woman. You really are. And I oh. admire that about you. Thank you. you. I know Allie gets up before her kids get up every morning and spends time in the Word. Right now, if you could see our table, there are papers and prayers and her Bible is open because she really loves Jesus and you really do. And that's one of my favorite things thank about you. you. So thank you. Cause I know that's not easy to do the pressing in. I really appreciate thank your wisdom you. and what you've shared with us about just your life. You have an amazing life and getting to thank hear you. about the hardship. Thank you for being vulnerable and transparent with us talking about your divorce and just providing so much hope and encouragement for people that God can do anything. Amen. Truly. And he loves us so much. 
So thank you. That's right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Such an honor. And honestly, if anybody has any questions, reach out to Cassie. I'd be happy to help with any resources or um, groups that can help. There are, I'm telling you, there are groups in place that can help you if you're walking through some of these difficult things we talked about. Yeah, I'll put an email address in the show notes and the book that you recommended as well. Um, So I end each podcast kind of with a fun question. If you could sit down with anybody, past or present, and hear their God stories, who would it be and why? That, she told me she was going to ask this and I could not think of somebody. And then I thought of, this is might sound cheesy, but I thought of somebody in the Bible that I've always, always loved. I would love to hear the God story personally from Esther. Ooh. So Esther is like my favorite woman in the Bible and man, she went through so much and I just think if you haven't read Esther, go read it. It's not that long, um, but it is just isn't an it the one story. book that even it, the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, which is so interesting. <laughs> um, but man, like I feel like you can read her God story, but just to hear it from her perspective would be such an amazing thing. So I can't wait to get to heaven and just ask her like, what was that like when you were preparing or when you had to go approach the king and like her husband or yeah, like, oh my gosh, there's, it's just such like a riveting story. Go read it. If you have, yeah, you got to read it. I love that. That's such a good, a good one. Well, thank you, sister. Love Love you. Love you, sissy. And, um, thank you so much for having me.